Welcome to the Executive Central Podcast and today, why transformational change projects go wrong. I'm Phil Dobby and Rob Barmer, the Managing Director of Executive Central, joins me to talk about what does go wrong with these big projects, the ones with big ambitions, and how you can stop them going astray. That's today on the Executive Central Podcast. Rob, we have uh, we've spoken about uh, change within an organisation before, but I think really then we were talking more about changing the way you do things, like introducing new systems, for example. And there can be resistance to that, but transformational change, big changes, which are often organisational changes, so you have new people or new structures, that can be even more disorientating. I know this from bitter experience because I've been been through a few of them in my life. But I mean, maybe we should start off. What prompts these big changes? Why would a company, because transformational is a big word, what would prompt a company to, to, to want to introduce that sort of change? Well, Phil, uh, yeah, we've, as we've discussed in, in previous podcasts, uh, you know, the environment that all organisations, regardless of sector, regardless of industry, uh, uh, that uh, they're facing – uh, is a, a radically changing environment. Mm. We've talked about disruptive innovations. We've talked about, you know, major upheavals in different... Yeah, you know, We've just had, for example, in Australia, the Banking Royal Commission Yeah, that's, that's passed down its uh, findings. And, you know, that's going to cause major upheaval and require transformational change from the banks in that yeah. case well and and the suppliers to the banks mortgage banks. brokers you know a whole uh, a whole load you know the whole industry and the suppliers to that industry the, the whole mm. the whole ecosystem yeah that's the thing it's not just an organizational thing anymore it is an ecosystem wide impact whether it's driven by technology whether it's being driven by changing expectations of our clients uh, that's what's causing the need so you know, it's it's a cliche almost now. It's being said so so much that uh, you know organisations must be innovative. They must be must be open and and anticipating and thinking about those sorts of changes. So in our experience, there really isn't an organisation that at any point in time isn't trying to drive some form of transformational change right. in their business. So when they try and introduce these transformational changes, what goes wrong? Why do they why do they fail, which they often do? Well, in our experience over the last probably 16 years, I would say more than three quarters of all mm. transformation changes actually fail to meet the objectives that they were set up to achieve. Before we just talk about why that happens, I think it's really important to acknowledge what is the impact of when that happens. You know, the, the legacy of a failed transformational change objective mm. is is pretty debilitating you know people will feel generally disappointed now now what are they disappointed in they're not just disappointed that the change initiative failed or the transformational initiative failed they're disappointed i think in the organization's inability to innovate they're, they're disappointed in they went through all of this upheaval right and nothing really you know, resulted from it. And I can see why that would be a problem because people then say, well, look, I don't want to get involved in that again. I don't want to be involved in any innovation project. But so, so let's go back to the question of why then? Why, why is that happening? Why are these projects failing in the first place? Well, look, uh, I tend to think that there, and there's, there's probably lots of reasons, Phil, to be honest, but if I, if I was to categorize them into, I think there's probably three core themes. Right. Um, and the first one I'd zero in on is at that uh, leadership executive or change leadership level, whoever it is that's really, you know, developing the solutions to change. 
um, I think the skills and the um, processes that people are using there to develop radical innovation, if you want to call that, mm. um, are poor. And that, that's driven by a number of things. We've talked a lot about the importance of diversity in, in driving innovation. Well, uh, I think that the, the, the leadership teams, the executives that are developing solutions to for innovation often are lacking diversity. Right. And, you know, again, we don't need to go down that path again, but I'm talking about deep diversity, diversity of thought, diversity of experience, diversity of, you know, style, as well as the surface things of gender, culture, age, that sort of stuff. But when you've got that lack of diversity, you're not going to have the, the, the perspectives that you need to be coming up with, you know, bulletproof solutions. So that makes you um, a bit more cautious yeah. then, does it? You, you sort of, you go down the road of incrementalism. You almost in your mind are thinking, well, I think this is the right way to go. I haven't, I haven't had enough minds on this to actually be certain about that. So I'm just going to take it in stepping stones, which is the opposite of radical. Yes. Yes, correct. That's incremental innovation. Incremental yeah. innovation is very important, you know, continuous improvement, that sort of stuff. But that's an ongoing, uh, that's an ongoing thing. That's an ongoing business. thing. Yeah. And, and also, remember, what we're doing is we're still talking about the thing we've been doing. We're yeah. improving the thing we've been doing. Yeah. And therefore, if we've got a lack of diversity, uh, that's not as much of an issue. It's still an issue, but it's, it's, it's a group of people who are comfortable and experienced in what we're doing now, right? <laughs> Uh, so, so that's a different thing, right? So, but without the diversity, we haven't got the confidence, basically, to make those bold steps. Um, can I add to it? It's not just diversity; it's probably the problem-solving and decision-making processes and skills that those people are showing are inferior. And you know, if what does that mean? Well, if I zero into one core issue in both of those things, problem-solving and decision-making, that we come across. Uh, people jump to solutions very quickly. You know, the mm. discussion quickly goes to, oh, well, I think we could do this. No, no, I think we could do this. And let's get, let's start brainstorming solutions. The, you know, the biggest issue with that is they haven't, there's not an agreement on what the problem is. Yeah, so you're, so you're always going to get the wrong answer. That's right. It's, it's a, they, if you want to put it bluntly, it's often the wrong answer mm. to the wrong problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Um, and, and therefore, you've, you're, you're behind the eight ball right from the word go. And if you're going to do that in a radical way, if you're going to say this is a big transformational change and it's the wrong transformational change, then you have a, every ability to completely destroy your business if you if you push far enough on that. And so that's a, that's a big concern, which is why people then go, oh, that's a big risk. I'll go down the road of incrementalism, thanks so much, which isn't radical change yep. at all. So, exactly. okay, that's number one. What's, what's number two? Well, now it's once it's those same people that have developed that solution um, failing to influence and communicate effectively mm. to sell the case of that change. Yeah, which we've spoken right. about before, which is because people are living in fear knowing this is all going on. They're worried about their jobs half the time. Yes, there is. Um, and, and if you put it more so in the, in the world of selling, I can say I do a lot of work with, with sales organizations. The biggest problem in selling anything, which is just a form of influencing, uh, is that people will focus on the solution that they've come up with or the product that they're trying to sell. They will talk all about how good this new thing's going to be, how good the restructure is going to be. This is what it's going to look like. Here's all its features, et cetera, et cetera. And they forget to actually come right back to why are we doing this in the first place? Mm. You know, getting people clear on, for example, uh, what would be the consequences if we didn't do this? Now, most people who are on the receiving end of hearing about these transformational change initiatives do not hear the why. They hear a lot about the what, 
but they don't hear about the why. And uh, and that's because a lot of the time the people who've developed the solution are very excited about what they came up with and it's all like, right, let's get on board and let's do this. But everyone else who wasn't involved in the development of that solution, they, they don't know why we've ever even bothered to do this. You know, so... Hence, again, you don't get buy-in from those very people who you're going to rely on to actually implement So it. we're failing because we've, we've got the wrong decision or the, the wrong approach or the, even the wrong question. So no hope we're getting the answer right. We've, uh, even if we have got it right, we're not communicating it well enough within, within the organization. There are two points. I think you said there's three reasons yes. why, why these things fail. What's the third one? Well, the final one um, that, I, that I wanted to raise was really then let's go to that frontline level the frontline managers, the middle managers of the organizations even, who need to be the ones that are actually getting the rubber hitting the road on these transformation changes. If Let's assume we've gotten those first two right and you've got a bunch of people who've been well sold on a really good solution, they've still got to make it happen. And I see mm. a reason for it failing is we fail to support or organizations fail to support those very frontline managers and staff, but let's focus at the managers, in, in doing things like balancing the inevitable conflicting priorities that will come up as a result of this new thing versus business as usual. And and as with all of the goodwill um, you know, in the world, those frontline manager, managers are constantly uh, you know, put into this state of conflict between, I know I need to do this mm. new thing, but gee, hang on, you're still pushing me to get this month's numbers or this month's production or whatever, you know, that doesn't go away. And it's not as easy, it's not an easy thing, far easier said than done, if you like, to to actually make that work. Particularly, I guess, if, they, if they're used to following processes, if, if a lot of their work before was very process-driven, yes. uh, and now all of a sudden those processes have been thrown out the window, they might be replaced by new processes, but they're probably not working that well just yet. Well, we've talked a lot about different aspects of leading and managing change, Phil, in previous podcasts, but w- one thing that you touch on there around process, the hardest thing to get anybody to change is a process that is currently working, Mm. right? Now, if you think about that, a lot of transformational changes are being brought about to things that at the moment are not totally failing. In fact, they're not even necessarily totally causing problems. It's transformation is all about anticipating future needs and changes a lot of the time. Um, yeah. and, and so here I am working away. We're, we're meeting all our objectives. This process seems to be working. And now you idiots are telling me I need to change it. <laughs> yeah, which is why you need that communication that you're talking about to explain exactly why the change is happening. But I mean, also this very process oriented person, just taking them as a, for example, I mean, their world is changing. They're going to need quite a bit of support, yeah. aren't they? Well, I, I would say as well, Phil, that support, you know, inverted commas, that you want to provide them, one size does not fit all. You know, what one manager needs is in support is not going to be the same as what another manager needs. So, again, it's not just this let's do a sheep dip and put all the managers through some two-day intensive thing that will give them the support they need to put this in place. Well, sorry, every manager is a different person. They're leading a whole bunch of different people in their teams. They've got different contexts, different realities. Um, you need to, in my view, the, the support needs to adapt to support those individual needs. So this is where you get into coaching versus training, isn't it? You can, see, you can, you can train. see where I'm heading, can't you, Phil? I can, I can. <laughs> I know how you read you like a book. Uh, but I mean, for the, I mean, training, I mean, you would have training in place perhaps to say, well, okay, these are new systems. Of course. Everyone has to follow this. 
here's a training program that you can click on online. It'll show you how this is this is going to work. But what you're talking about is that's all fine. But on top of that, you need coaching because you've got to tell people you, you've got to help people through the unforeseen issues, I guess, that they're going to face. Bingo. Uh, yeah, absolutely right, Phil. You, I, and I'm total I'm a total advocate for overtraining. In, in situations of change, it is far better to do more training than than you need than less. Uh, for things like understanding the new system, the new process, the new tool, whatever it is that we're doing, um, that's really important to do. So I'm not in any way, you know, saying people shouldn't use training. But for the sorts of things that we're talking about, which is, you know, the balancing of conflicting priorities and the dealing with heightened emotions of people, let alone self, uh, you know, all of that kind of stuff, um, that's where a coaching approach, which is, as I say, individualized and context specific, is far better. Um, now, if, if, you, if you think across those three areas that we talked about, we would argue that a coaching uh, approach is needed for all of those levels. You know, mm. So coaching to assist those individuals or teams that are generating and driving the change uh, is is vital, you know, helping from them from the beginning. Right from so the before beginning. you've even arrived at your solution, so you actually do ask the right questions. And, and I'm not talking about being a consultant and coming in and being the clever person that comes up with the change initiative for you, because by the way, mm. we see a lot of that where where you know people outsource their their uh, you know development of transformation things to yeah. consultants. Oh, you could charge millions for that, though, Rob. With- yeah, absolutely millions. Oh, you could. <laughs> There's probably an entire business model built around that, mate. Um, but so I'm not talking about that. And, and by the way, okay, even if you do do that, that's fine. I lived mm. through plenty of that, um, you know, in my days in the IT industry. At the end of the day, even when the consultants have finished their job and they've come up with their recommendations, the leadership team, the executives still need to be the ones that are ultimately deciding what are we going to do and how yeah. are we going to do this. So coaching to support them with their you know, as we talk about problem solving and decision making skills, um, making sure that they're tapping into the diversity that they've got on hand. And if they haven't got on hand, coaching them on how they can get it on hand uh, is is critical. Um, coaching about that influencing and communication skills to, to sell the case of it, that's needed as well. Um, and then as we've talked about before, can we come back to this front frontline yeah. level, you know, coaching has not been something that has been regarded as a viable option in the past to that level because there's so many frontline managers. And that's where something like, you know, our coach live virtual coaching uh, is really creating, you know, very innovative opportunities for coaching because the cost of it is so much more uh, lower yeah. per person. And, you know, the virtual nature of it means you can do it for anybody anywhere in the world regardless of their geographic dispersion. So uh, so that's kind of why we're, ex- we're sort of, you know, s- suggesting this all levels. Right. But support. that sounds like a lot of coaching across a, across a business which is going through this change. I can see, you know, can obviously see the benefits of it all. But, mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're talking about hundreds or thousands of hours of, of coaching support across an organisation, aren't we? Well, actually, if you so, – so, yes – Potentially, but if you compared it to the man hours, and I mean man slash in a non-gender way, <laughs> right, um, yeah, yeah. that are involved in taking an entire workforce through a, uh, you know, a, a training approach to, to a new initiative or, you know, people getting pulled out for, you know, workshops on this and that and whatever, 
Um, when you analyze what's already going on in terms of the amount of productive hours that are being used in change initiatives, it's massive. So you take a major organizational restructure, the amount of working hours that are being used for that already in the way it's being done now is, you know, inestimable would be my, yeah. uh, my opinion. So, Taking individuals, if, if we and by the way, when we're talking coaching here, this can be at individual and or team level, right? Um, but taking individuals, say, out of their workplace once every fortnight for one hour for a coaching conversation that might just, you know, focus their approach for the next fortnight and overcome some of the obstacles that are barriers to, to success, is, isn't, wouldn't that be worth the investment versus yeah. the cost of what it, what it means to fail in this initiative. And that's what organizations 75% of the time are experiencing. Makes perfect sense to me. Look, oh, you've sold me yeah. on this. You've sold me on this. So get on the, so <laughs> we'll leave it there. You get on the, cause you've got to go, you've got to get on the phone to, uh, to the banking and finance industry. Cause they, cause they, cause they need you now more than ever before. Uh, I can tell well, you. Any of, any of them that are listening to this podcast, I'm available to have a chat anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Great to talk. Rob. We'll catch you again very soon. Thanks, Phil. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. And I have been through so many transformational projects, and I'm sure you have too, that have gone so badly wrong. And I think Rob just nailed it there and outlined the reasons why and what to do about it. That is the Executive Central podcast for today. I hope you found it useful, and we'll be back here again very soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.